The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. It's time for our Friday Forum and we're joined by Mary Butler, Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People and Fianna Fáil TD for Waterford, Gary Gannon TD, Social Democrats TD for Dublin Central and Philip Ryan, Political Editor with the Irish Independent. Good morning and welcome to One and All. Let's get the journalistic view of what happened overnight. I went to bed and mm. there was a chairman ensconced in RT and I woke up and she was gone. There certainly was. And in between all that, well, I don't know what time you got to bed at, but on prime time, the, the minister, the media minister, Catherine Martin, went out and was interviewed at length by the show about uh, uh, all things RT uh, uh, and this aspect that came up in the show. Now, her advisors are saying it wasn't a planted thing. They didn't go out there purposely to throw Shuni Raleigh under the bus. But she was. She had this uh, appointment. It was booked in on Tuesday. She didn't know at this point about the confusion over what uh, the the chair of the board. So she'd did been booked RT. into prime time on Tuesday. Yes, that's what I'm led to believe to okay. to do this slot to speak about RTE generally, um, and 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 then this arose in between those days. Let's say in Wednesday and Thursday about the knowledge um, that uh, the chair had and indeed I suppose the, the director general about what how these payments were handled the payments to former executives Richard Collins Rory Coveney um, uh, specifically so she went on she said this um, it left um, Shuni Raleigh obviously in a very clear that she was no longer had the confidence of the minister and we had this 1am statement like you say um, announcing that she was resigning mm-hmm. but at the same time defending her position herself and and insisting that she she did inform relevant people about that the it. officials at least knew if um, mm. you know she would maintain I presume that in the all the mayhem that's going on and she's asked about something which happened in October that it, mm. she neglected to remember, I think was the word, yes. used, which is a kind of a, a funny <laughs> term. But still, mm. uh, perhaps it might be understandable and mm. maybe it should have been clarified before and I think all of this happened. I think what's going on now is that there's a... Um, within the department, they're, they're trying to establish what was known, uh, who was told, is there some sort of documentary evidence of it? And uh, I think later today we, we'll hear from Catherine Martin who will set this mm. all out in a, some sort of public forum. Mary Butler, what do you make of it? Well, my understanding is that the Minister was booked in to go on um, prime time last night to discuss RTE. If she had pulled out last night, she would have been highly criticised. I think everybody's sick and tired of the last eight months of the absolute drip feed of information. Who knew what, when and where? Because, you know, even last week in the Iraq, in the media committee, uh, you know, we had the DG saying he couldn't um, report on how much an exit packet wa- was. And then 30 seconds later, he came out with 450,000. The minister, I watched the minister last night and the minister asked the chair twice this week if the board had any role in approving either of the two packages and was told no. So she categorically asked twice this week, um, had the board any role and it has since emerged that it had approved the Richard Collins package. So the minister was put in an unbelievable position last night. So what she did yesterday, as a result, she asked to meet with uh, Miss Nirahala uh, this morning um, to clarify why she was told twice this week um, that uh, the board had the board any. Do they not understand the idea of having a private meeting without telling everybody about things in advance and just sorting it out and then going on air instead of going on air with the expectation of sorting it out tomorrow morning? It's no proper way to do business, is it? In fairness, the minister was asked a question. She was asked a straight question and she gave a straight answer. It, it mm-hmm. Gary. 
it can't be accepted that the minister wasn't prepared for that question to come up. I mean, if I was going to go on prime time, I would have been prepped several days in advance in the lead up. I would have been having all the current information available for me and had an anticipation of questions that may arise. One of those questions inevitably was going to be, given the information at your disposal now, potentially what you've learned today, do you have confidence in the minister? That can't be taken. The minister then wasn't able to give it. So why offer to have a meeting on the Friday? That for me is what I don't understand. If you're not able to go on RTE and express confidence in the chair of RTE, why would you arrange for a meeting with that person the next day? And I think that's what left us all flabbergasted. It's an omni-shambles. But the fact she had already been told twice this Mm. week, she'd been already been told twice this week um, that the board... Um, that, 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 that the board ha- did not have a role in approving either or. There's an so, incredible absence of curiosity that wasn't there. Like, I mean, she may have been told that, but why was she in front? So why did she learn this information on Friday or yesterday before the prime time meeting? Why did she wait till tomorrow to have that meeting? Why not summon Juna Rally to government buildings? I think throughout this, though, there's been a, a kind of a lack of professionalism from the minister in how she has been dealing with this controversy. And uh, like to similar, summarily uh, execute someone, uh, I think it was described as er- earlier on your show, um, uh, on air like that. It, it doesn't seem... Philip, there's been a lack of information from RTE from the very top with the last eight months. It's a drip feed of information. The minister has been put in an awful difficult situation because every time they go before either the Public Accounts Committee or they go before the Media Committee, um, which have done phenomenal work, it's new news every week. And here we are putting all other news down to the bottom of the agenda today to discuss again RTE. It's absolutely disgraceful mm. at this stage um, that the Stanley, Minister has not you, given you, all the information. Your, your colleague, uh, Brian Stanley, who's the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, uh, said the Minister practically sacked her on primetime television. The Minister should have kept her powder dry until she had met the minister was asked right. a question. We were accused of, of, of not answering straight questions most of the time. She was asked a question and she gave her opinion. And I mm-hmm. believe that Catherine Martin has a very difficult job to do, but she has my full support. She's a very difficult job, but she's not making her easy on herself. I mean, we are eight months into this catastrophe at the moment and the minister doesn't. So, so PAC have done a good job and um, the media committee have done a job, good job. Can I honestly say that I can now say that the minister has herself done a good job? Or to you are not making it easier on her because she's getting a drip feed of information, which makes any minister's she, job very hard to do. Is she making it easy on RTE though? I mean, that's well, well, is she making it easy on RTE? That would be the question I'd have because it doesn't really seem like the minister is in control of the last eight months. So even in terms of this refit of information... But it's the amount of time we're waiting for reports to come through. It's the amount of time it takes. So we know, for example, from this week, there's 2.6 million after being paid in exit packages. We haven't got that information. Let them put that information out there today. What are we waiting for? For another another weekend of of reporting and then we'll have this again the next time they go to committee. Mary, are you actually saying that they should break whatever confidentiality agreements entered into wisely or unwisely that they should break them. No, but there are some details they can give. They don't have to break the complete confidentiality but they could give a breakdown of of the 2.6 million. This relates to maybe 10 people or 12 people or 15 people. The amounts paid are. There's way, you don't have to break the confidentiality so then you have the, agreements. you have the game. I remember years ago RT would release the top 10 but wouldn't identify them. Yeah. And then the press's game would be who, well, who could that be? Mm-hmm. Uh, and who could that? So the same thing would happen that certain executives would be speculated in the press by name as to what each had received, which would probably be wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's that's the kind of process you're opening yourself up to. Is that what you want? Well, my understanding is they have written to relevant former members of the RTE senior executive to seek their consent to disclose details of recent termination agreements. That's where we that's where we are at the moment. But mm-hmm. I do still believe that we and can get the director general said on Newsweek yesterday. Mm-hmm that he didn't anticipate that any of them would agree. Why would they? 
why would they? No, I understand that. But at the same time, it is still tax, predominantly no, taxpayers' money and we are entitled absolutely. to answers. Just on, no on the issue with the, the former chair, I think that what did feed into the decision to possibly undermine or so uh, publicly on the show last night did come to the previous experience as well whereby they had a meeting um, and the chair didn't tell the minister that in fact that Dee Forbes had been had resigned and that transpired then immediately after the meeting well and, it wasn't she was more or less fired fired whatever you, know, you I want mean, to say she but went I mean, early they, only a matter of days early but, the minister, but nonetheless but the it, chair knew and had a meeting with the minister this is going back it's, you know, whenever it's gone it's gone it was June or and uh, didn't tell the minister. So, like, look, there was a bit of previous and uh, you can see why it is. But it, it does seem like, and you make a very good point, Pat, in that a lot of this stuff could, why do they have to be marched up to the department in front of all the cameras every single time to do this when it could, a phone call or, uh, you know, private meeting? But like, Pat, you worked in RTE for a long time mm-hmm. and we have a situation where everyday staff who are the lifeblood of RTE, the people that tour the country, that get the content, they're, you know, they, they, they're fighting for every mile they can get mileage. They're fighting for bed and breakfast overnights and they're trying to fight tooth and nail, you know, to try and get any sort of um, recompense to try and put in place really good content. And, you know, we're, we're, we're top heavy. I haven't had much opportunities to talk about this, but we're really, really top heavy. And then you go down the whole way through RTE, people doing phenomenal work every day of the week and they are so disillusioned and everybody is sick of this. We just need the details but once and for all. Can, can I just on. make an observation to you? Some of the people who've been recruited by RT from here mm. remark at how easy the staff in RT have it compared to the way they have it here. Okay. The people, the people well, here work really hard, small numbers of people creating great output and they go to RT and they remark, my God, this is great. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the, the one job I do want to talk about is Catherine mm-hmm. Martin's job. And I think the job of work that she has today is to come before the media in some capacity, whether it's News Talk or RTE, but level out exactly what her department did know. I don't want a scenario where we go into next week where we're still confusion reigns. I think the minister last week, last night, created a degree of confusion. She has an obligation now to get in front of this today. I there think. is precedent, though, for ministers to come before the Doyle and do Q&As, of course, as well. Like absolutely. We've seen that over the, the years. Is that something that... Yeah, that's um, something that occurs to me, and maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong... But I suspect that Shuni Rahla saw this as the great escape, that the minister handed to her on a plate last evening and she said, my God, this has been tough, this has been unfair, this has been pure torture, going before a ruckus committees and being ballyragged by politicians who are just grandstanding. Here's she my won't get the exit payment, though. Yeah. Hmm? She won't get the exit payment. No. No. <laughs> I, I have to say, in fairness to Shuni Rahla, every time she attended committee, um, she always... D- did her utmost to, you know, to, yeah. to, 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 to answer the questions that were put that's to her. the minimum expectation I have on public money is being discussed at a committee. Though. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the job. That's the yeah. job of work. So yeah. she should have yeah. done that. Let's leave yeah. that there. It's great. But I suppose at this point now, I'm very confused as to where the minister has been. Like, why isn't the minister not in front of this? And this is the question I just, I woke up this morning, I listened to what happened last night. I had a quick look back at prime time. I couldn't for the life of me understand how that question wasn't being prepared for and how an interview had been arranged for today. She in a rally, I don't know if it was a strategy on her part because she sent the the letter at what ten to one this morning. Mm. I mean, like obviously, like she, well, she thought about it. Didn't want to sleep thought, on yeah. it. She ten said, "I've been to one this morning." I've been. She said, "I've been humiliated yeah, on the station absolutely. that I am charged to run." She was I'm out of here, Gary. I'll, no tell, you where the, the I'll tell you where the minister was this week. Yeah. The minister met with the chair twice this week yeah. to ask if the board had any role in approving either of the two packages. Yes. The minister was on prime time last night, and the minister will be out again in the airways but, today. But that's, that's, and she like, cleared up that confusion. In all fairness to her, what more can you do? I was at the press conference though, and again, this is back. 
back in June or uh, July or whenever, where she <laughs> the thing had just exploded. The, the d- details around Ryan Tuberty's pay, some of the extra detail was out there as well. And the minister was asked about people paying their license fee. And, and she herself stood in front of the media and said she could not tell people to pay their license fee. Well, it's the law. And, uh, it's the law no, of the no, land. But she said she could not tell them to pay. That was, her, that was her line. The minister in charge of the public sector broadcaster couldn't tell the public to pay their TV license. It was extraordinary. And then we've seen what's happened since. People have not been paying their TV's license. And the saga runs on and we have to, under, you know, it undermines the importance of public broadcasting, how Absolutely. important it is. Um, tell me this, who's going to take the job, given what has happened to this lot, be it the board and the executives and all the rest, who'd want the job? I don't know, because it's a very, very tough job. What's the pay? It's, it's a <laughs> trifle. You know. yeah. the, 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 the chair of the board is not full-time. It's supposed to be yeah. a part-time mm-hmm. activity, and yet yeah. I would suspect that for Shuni Rahla, uh, you know, who was running uh, Troy Studios and Ardmore Studios and so on, um, was probably doing this full time for very little reward. Yeah. So I'm out of here. Um, mm. I agree with you, Pat. She knew what was coming. Catherine Martin simply opened the gate for Shun. In other words, Shun suspected that she might be dumped by Catherine Martin. I don't know. Uh, dear God, Pat, is this RT debacle just one example of how this country is run? Only a few weeks ago, the Taoiseach Leo Radker told us that the chair of RT was doing an excellent job. Who's fooling whom? Are they all asleep at the wheel? Uh, don't forget that the man who'd know best how well Shun Ural is performing uh, Kevin Backhurst uh, was absolutely uh, fulsome in his praise of uh, Shuni Rahala on her resignation. Says she was mm. a fantastic woman, etc., etc. Uh, the RT issue is pure gold for politicians whose names we wouldn't know if they weren't making hay of it. Yes, it's a mess, but so too are the elected reps who are spending so much time on this issue for their own political uh, gain ahead of the elections. That's not public service. They should remember we pay their wages too. Uh, and uh, so on and so forth. Lots of uh, comments on that. So where do we go to from here? Gary? Firstly, I've outlined I want the Minister out today. If that's not clear, I would like to see the Minister coming into the Dáil and answering questions. I think there's precedence for that in terms of clearing up information on the floor of the Dáil. I think that's certainly a space where I'd like to see the Minister next week. Yeah, look, I think we'll learn a lot more from the press conference today. Um, but as has been the case, every time someone speaks on this issue, uh, who is essentially involved, it seems to knock it on to some new, different direction, and it's not getting anywhere. And one of the big problems that's kind of getting lost in all this, and it's been sitting there with the minister for months and months and then before any of this kicked off, is the work of the Future Media Commission and what exactly we are going to do mm-hmm. with the broadcaster. Yeah, and, and there's one aren't going element to, to this, which uh, having listened to Kevin Backhurst on the Heart Shoulder yesterday very carefully, um, he outlined the real world. In other words, when you want to start afresh and move an executive on uh, who is not guilty of a firing offence, but you want them out, you reach a financial settlement. And he said it's as true in you know, private business as it would be in semi-state business, in, in any business. And I suspect even in government departments that yeah. people who are uncomfortably placed might be got rid of by encouraging an early retirement or whatever it might be with the package that is laid down to go with it. But I think That's the, confi- the real world. It is, but I think the confidentiality element of it, uh, as the Minister said yesterday, it should be the exception rather than the norm. And I do believe I go back to the point that we are all sick and tired of this drip feed of information that comes every time there's an Oireachtas Committee meeting, there's a new elevation. And, you know, the, the Minister needs all the information f- 
to do her job. And that hasn't been the case so far. They haven't been given her the information. Um, this one, you have no idea what everyday battles the ordinary workers in RTE have. Currently, we're working with broken equipment, hot food for shift workers in the evening and weekends. None of that. Constantly asked to cut costs, but to make the same content to the same level. Well, as someone who works in private media, just like you were saying, <laughs> we're in the middle, in the Irish Independent, we're in the middle of a voluntary redundancy scheme as well. And it's, look, right across the media, it is very hard to, to work at the moment because of the reduced mm. resources, reduced income. I um, hope they don't see the chefs from the Shelburne delivering the food to off the ball on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to move on to other matters. And we've mm. been talking about Dublin 8 and the lack of playing fields. And the the whole question of how do you actually intervene with kids to make sure they go down the right path? And that's something that preoccupies you, uh, Gary. You went down the right path and went and to third level to, education and, and now... She was talking with the taxi man on the way across there. He was the nephew of my manager, Paul Ryan, which Sheriff OIC. The reason I do a lot of what I've done was because of the access to the pitches on Fairview, Sheriff OIC, the mentors I had there, the coaches who would ring me up on a Friday night to make sure that we were home and in bed early and ready for Saturday. I mean, it's absolutely, like, it's vital. It's one of the things we lost in the inner city during COVID was those access to those mentors and those good one adults. In order to bring back kind of a sense of place, we need those pitches. We need places where young people, both young men, young boys and girls can actually go out and play. We don't have enough of them. Uh, Dublin has the report that was just come out to highlight the absence of playing pitches in Dublin 8. I promise you the same is true over in Dublin 1. There is no 11-a-side pitch in between the canals in the north side at the minute. Um, where I used to play in Fairview Park over the Christmas period, a car drove onto Fairview Park, destroyed the pitches, and for the last two months, Charlotte Voices, Eastwall, Bessborough and Belvedere's games have been called off. I mean, you're talking about losing your connection to kids who are quite vulnerable. I do think when I see when I see the 50 million, for example, that was invested in Caseman Park over the yeah. weekend, I can understand why that would be done and it was pulled out. But when I see the absence of investment in local pitches around Dublin, I'm sure, and other counties around the place as well, I just think, come on now, we need to get the fundamentals yeah. right here. And, and I don't know how you stop the, the vandalism. You talk about the vandalism in, in Fairview yeah. Park. Uh, I saw it in Kilboggett Park near me where a car with no tyres on the wheels was driven onto a pitch, destroyed a pitch. There was a cricket crease where a lot of the immigrant uh, population, the the Pakistanis, the Indians, would play cricket on the weekend. That was set fire to and destroyed. I bet you what didn't happen. I bet you there wasn't a guard investigation. Like, and that's no blame of the guard. The local authorities, the guards, don't actually see. When someone goes on and destroys a pitch like that, wherever that may be, there is never somebody going up there trying to find out, looking at CCTV, finding that individual and prosecuting that individual. It just doesn't happen. It's almost accepted as a norm that this would happen. The kids, the migrants, whoever, the families that go on those pitches on the weekend, it's taken away from them. But I've never once in my life seen somebody prosecuted for destroying a pitch. Um, what do we do then about uh, Dublin 8 particularly? That was yeah. our focus uh, during the week. I mean, And I saw, I saw the articles on that during the week and putting on my, my ministerial hat as Minister for Mental Health, the importance for young people, Absolutely. for their emotional well-being, um, for the sense of inclusivity, of belonging to, of being able to have access um, to, to green pitches, proper, properly resourced green pitches is huge. I'm a TD in Waterford. This is not an issue that I would have ever come across before in my life. <laughs> I'm from a small town, Port Law, 1,700 people. There's two, three entrances into Port Law. If you come in one side from Waterford, you'll pass the soccer pitch with their own AstroTurf. If you come in from the other side from Carrick on Shore, you'll see the GA pitch with their own AstroTurf and a park outside the school where the kids can go out. And, you know, I, I, I listen to it with interest. The, the vandalism piece is, is really upsetting and distressing. 
But, you know, when you see young children, I watched the article during the week and they were being trained. Um, I was chaired at the Camogie Club myself several times. I played Camogie back in the day. And to see young kids trying to puck a slitter around a concrete yeah. um, playground. It's, you know, it's absolutely, it's, it's wrong. And I know there's work ongoing in relation to St. Teresa's Garden and, but it can't happen soon enough. Yeah. All school children have to have yeah. access but, to but, green but areas. In Maribow Lane, there is an area that's used by Dublin City Council as a storage yard. Uh, it's available, we've podcast the whole thing, it's available on our website, mm. the videos there of the report. And it's about, it could provide a pitch as big as Crow Park. That's how yeah. big it is. And it's used to store lampposts that haven't been put up yet. And there's a few cars parked there. I, I mean, it could be done and it could be done quickly. Yeah. Whereas St. Teresa's Gardens is a more long-term project. And it, and it needs to happen. And we saw the investment last year in sports capital. And I worked with but so many clubs no, myself. Brilliant. And like, it makes such a difference to but them. there is a cultural capital in being able to apply for those grants that a lot of kind of working, like working class communities don't have access. They're keeping the wolf to the door mm. from in terms of providing mental health supports, just trying to find pitches. Your, your day is taken up if you're involved in those sports teams by actually just trying to get the kids to play on a Sunday. Mm. So to actually make the, like, the time to sit down, to go to all those documents to supply the paperwork. Mm. Not everyone it has, has it, access it, to that. It, it, has beca- it, has beca- it has become more easier. And last year, yeah. 95% of all applications were, were, were funded. Ca- 160 yeah. million. Yeah, but hang on, yeah. there is no land in no, the there is no of land, the local and that's population. The issue. But is it, is it something that you should do, like with uh, part five, that when someone is constructing is something it? that, and like there is obviously planning Building, regulations yeah. around green space, but, but are they big enough? Do you need to, to change the... Philip, the what amount? is depressing for me is when I look at the planning applications for apartment blocks, and the green space they include, or the recreational space, the balconies. Yeah. There's one development where a roundabout is included as a <laughs> green space. Yeah, I mean, our, our planners yeah. are yeah. losing it. And you know, I often, see, at the same I often time spoke, we need houses. Though. We do, but I, of, I often spoke during COVID. I often, I remember my own complaining and whinging about they couldn't go and I said you can walk within five kilometres you have a half acre of a garden imagine if you were living in an apartment yeah. with a balcony that, and mm-hmm. you had no green area that, so they're hugely important That for me has to be the great crusade of the next government or even this one in terms of tackling young people's mental health it's actually this place to, spe- to play space to play It's so important It's so like it, yeah. it's investment of work Charles classes mm. education yeah. mental health yeah. like it yeah. comes in from me well, we, we have invested huge programs. we have invested hugely the Phoenix Park Yeah that's what yeah. I was going to say yeah. Like yeah. I live up in Dublin 8 which is beside opposite yeah. Dublin 7 but, obviously yeah. and like that is a huge resource for it's a huge resource but if you live if you live in Denora Avenue for example going to the Phoenix Park as a young child is just not it's, it's not viable. No. And you want to be able to, you no want sense, children yeah. to be able to go to their local pitch, and whatever it, sport they play, safely. Yeah, and their and, badges and that on they're the not wall. worried about you traffic and room, a sense of play. Yeah. It all creates yeah. that sense of, like, gives people yeah. an identity. No. It's really important. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Yeah. Um, I want to conclude today by just uh, reflecting a bit on Ukraine because it's two years tomorrow since uh, Putin launched uh, the rocketry and the missiles at various cities around Ukraine. He thought it would be over in a matter of days that he would take Kiev and uh, he would install his puppets there. It didn't happen. Uh, the convoys that headed for Kiev were stopped in their tracks and so on. But what we've seen since is a terrible war of attrition. Philip, how long is this going to go on? I don't know. The, the, the thing that stood out to me most recently um, through all this thing, and I did watch it in full, was that uh, Tucker Carlson interview with, uh, with Putin. Vladimir Putin himself which was the first kind of insight, I suppose, the West got into the man's thinking since uh, all this kicked off. And he, he just seems 
quite frankly, a bit demented that he is harking back to something in the 6th or 16th century arrangements. He almost was blaming Poland for being invaded by Germany under yeah. Adolf Hitler. Um, and it, it's nothing rational seems to be his... His decision to do this doesn't seem to be based on something rational. It seems like he did a deep dive on YouTube about Russian history mm-hmm. and then decided he's owed some parts of Ukraine. Mary? During this week, we had statements in the Dáil and I covered um, part of it for the Tornish because he had to he had to go to the Shannon as well for statements. And I suppose uh, the ambassador fr- uh, from the Ukraine was present. And I suppose when you stop and think of the two years and the mass movement of people all over Europe that we have seen, the fact that we have 100,000 people now from the Ukraine in Ireland, uh, 75,000 that we accommodate. It's absolutely unbelievable. And the worry is yesterday, um, myself and Minister Donnelly would have had a bilateral meeting with Hans Klaus, the World Health Organization um, regional director. And he spent a huge amount of time speaking about Ukraine. And there's five five offences now coming from Russia. Um, They're under a huge amount of pressure, which had eased for a little while. And I suppose, again, and and you could talk about the same in relation to Gaza, the humanitarian effect um, you know, from a healthcare issue, um, the, the distress that it's causing. And unfortunately, it looks like there's no end in sight uh, when you're dealing with Putin. It's not only a war of attrition, it's a war for inches. We're now, it makes, it's a war of inches now. It makes the news when you capture a village. Yeah. Whereas previously you were talking about a city, now it's a, a village that's being captured. And like this, it's, Ukraine is now one of the, the most mined places, not only in the world, I mean, I think in the history of the world ever, these little butterfly mines. It's horrendous. It's, uh, it's, the words don't describe what's happening there. Where I hope Ireland and the international community doesn't fall down, it's a double standard. Because I want to support Ukraine with Ukraine. Like, it has to be. I think what's happening in the US at the moment is incredibly disappointing, where um, Democrats march Ukraine up a hill and say, we'll back you to the hilt. And now it's being held up by the Republicans. But within all that, we have to stay true to ourselves and not be inconsistent in terms of how we treat both conflicts, Ukraine and Gaza, which is for me is where a little bit of disappointment came in the other day when Yuri Filatov was brought to the doll to rightfully protest the Department of Foreign Affairs rightly protest the death of Alexander Navalny and yet the, the Israeli ambassador has never been brought in for the 89 journalists that have been killed in Gaza and it does undermine confidence I believe and it sets a double standard I think we need to maximise our support for Ukraine but not dilute that by being hypocritical elsewhere Alright, on that note we will uh, draw our forum to uh, close uh, Thank you very much to Mary Butler Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People Fianna Fáil TD for Waterford Gary Gannon TD Social Democrats uh, Dublin Central and Philip Ryan, political editor with the Irish Independent. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.